We do appreciate everyone's presence today. I was just thinking about saying those words as I stepped up here. And I say just about the same thing every time. Every, every Sunday, every Sunday night, I say something like that. We appreciate the presence of everyone. And I say, I've said it so many times that I can just imagine some of you don't even hear me say it. But uh, I don't take those words lightly. Uh, they're not simply a formality. I, I do appreciate the presence of each one here today. There, there are so many who don't take the time uh, on uh, the Lord's Day to worship and to thank Him, to praise Him for what, who He is and what He's done. And I do appreciate the presence of each one. It's an encouragement to me. I think we're an encouragement to each other. We uphold each other and support each other. And uh, we miss each other when we're not here. And uh, and so, uh, again, I appreciate the presence of each one. Let's turn to John chapter 18 this morning. John chapter 18. I know we've got uh, some that are out of town today. It's a holiday weekend. So some are out of town. I might have some watching online, and we appreciate your effort if you're at home watching online and can't be here. Now, if you can be here, we encourage you to come on and be here, and don't be content with just sitting at home and watching online. We need to see your face. We need to shake your hand, and uh, we need to be encouraged by your actual presence. And so just, just note that if you're at home and you could be here, we want to encourage you to be here. But if you're at home and and you're homebound for whatever reason and watching online, uh, we appreciate the effort that you're making to take time to spend a little bit of time in devotion to the Lord this morning. Well, in John 18, we're winding down toward the end of Christ's life. He's been arrested. He's gone through the Jewish trial, if you can call it a trial. And now, before he's executed... The Jews seek the permission of Pilate to do that, to carry that out. The Jews didn't have the right to carry out execution themselves. They had to get permission from the Roman authorities in order to do that. And so they take Jesus to Pilate. Pilate really doesn't want to have to deal with it. And on more than one occasion, he tries to release Jesus. But but he interrogates him. He sits down and talks to him and and examines him in, in some ways. And we have a record of that in the Gospels. And one of those records is here in John chapter 18. Jesus has been accused of being a king, of asserting himself or promoting himself as a king. And of course, that would be a dangerous thing to do in the Roman Empire, especially for the Jews, to sort of conspire against the Roman Empire and accept a man as a king, as a rival to Caesar. And of course, that would... Uh, raise the possibility of rebellion, and the Romans don't want to don't have to deal with that. And so, if there's a rival king out there, and, you know, Pilate is going to have to deal with that. And so, Jesus has been accused of being a king, and Pilate interrogates him. We're going to begin reading in verse 33, where he asks him, "Are you the king of the Jews?" Now, you've been accused of promoting yourself as king. Is it true? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered that by saying, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. Well, what have you done? I get the sense that Pilate, again, 
he, he's not interested in this case. He's, a, he's not really, he doesn't really want to deal with it. And uh, Jesus says, well, you know, did somebody tell you, tell you this? Maybe they've misrepresented the case. Or did you investigate this and determine this on your own, that I may be a king? I'm not a Jew, you know. I don't know what goes on among you Jews. Your own people delivered you. What, what did you do? What, what have you done? And Jesus says, well, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. That must have been a relief to Pilate. All right, if you're a king, then your kingdom is not of this realm. He may not have understood exactly what Jesus meant by all that, but he uh, eventually concludes, well, Jesus doesn't really pose a threat. And Jesus continues uh, here in verse 37. Pilate says to him, so, so you are a king. And Jesus says, you say correctly that I'm a king, for this I've been born, and for this I've come into the world, to testify to the truth. Now, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Yes, yes, I am a king. I've come into the world to be a king and to testify to the truth. The truth is that I am a king. And everyone who is of the truth, everyone who is a truth seeker, everyone who wants to embrace the truth and commit to the truth, they will know the truth of what I've said. And then Pilate asks him, what is truth? And when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no guilt in him. We're going to really focus our attention on that question of, of Pilate. Well, what is truth? Again, it seems to me that, that Pilate has kind of resigned himself to, to kind of uh, living the rest of his life, you know, kind of playing out the string, living out the rest of his life, kind of making the most of it as he can, because there really is no, no future out there. Well, well, what is truth? You know, a philosophical question that has uh, perplexed people and challenged people for a long, long time. What is truth? We're going to try to deal with it a little bit this morning. We're trying to talk about thinking in a biblical way, fashioning our thoughts, our attitudes, our perspective, fashioning those things according to the Scripture. Or we say it sometimes, thinking biblically. And so this is an important part of that thinking biblically, knowing truth, being able to identify, as, uh, identify truth, being a truth seeker, being of the truth, as Jesus describes it here. There's so much deception in the world, isn't there? There's, we, we say sometimes we live in the information age, and, and we do. We have more information at our fingertips than anybody ever has in the history of the world. There's no reason that you should not know the answer to any question that comes up. Well, if you don't know it, what do you do? Well, you get out your phone and you Google it. And then there you find the answer. We live in the information age. And we can share information almost immediately to the other side of the world. But you know what? We could also say we live in the misinformation age. Because there's as much misinformation out there as there is factual information out there. So there's a lot of deception in the world. And we need to be able to distinguish truth from error, right from wrong. What is true from what is false. And so we're going to try to give us a platform, give us a framework or a foundation from which we can do that as God's people. Try to deal with this question, what is truth? Well, we can read just about as many definitions for truth as there are 
philosophers to write them. Everybody's got a definition for truth, and those definitions range from there is absolute truth that's always true and can never be not true. That's a double negative, I know. And so that's why there, there are absolute truths that can never be untrue. They're always true and always have been true and always will be true. On the other hand, you have people who say there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. Truth is subjective and changes depending on the circumstances. And what might be true for you may not be true for me. And what might have been true in the past isn't true today. And our truth today might not be true tomorrow. And so that there are people that say that. And some say, well, you know what truth is? It's whatever works. <laughs> you know? well, whatever works, whatever enables you or us or them to accomplish, whatever it is they want to accomplish, that's, that's their truth. Very pragmatic approach to truth. Well, here's a common sense definition. I, I'm not much of a philosopher. And so let's just, let's just try to settle on a, defi- a common sense definition Truth is, taken out of the dictionary, sincerity in action. He, we do it in truth. We truly do a thing. We, we're sincere and genuine in our actions. The state of being the case, a fact. Now that's common sense definition, isn't it? Truth is whatever is factual. The body of real things, events, and facts. The property of being in accord with reality. And so a true statement is something that accurately reflects reality, what is real. This is real. This statement accurately represents that. The statement is true. A judgment, a proposition, or idea that is true or accepted as true. So that's out of the dictionary. Well, here's my definition or description. Truth is whatever accurately reflects the facts. True statements are consistent with what actually is. That's just common sense. What is true? Well, if the world is round and the statement is that the world is round and the world is round, well, then the statement is true. You know? Truth is a statement that accurately represents what is or the facts. Here's some examples of true statements. Two plus two equals four. Now, that's, that's a true statement, isn't it? The statement is consistent with the facts. Two plus two, let's see, one, two, three, four. Two plus two equals four. (laughs) A statement is consistent with fact. It accurately represents what is. The speed of light is 299,792,458 meters per second, or 186 miles per second. That's scientific truth. It's consistent with what actually is, consistent with fact. George Washington was the first president of the United States. We get out your history books, and you can get a number of history books, and you can get elementary level history books, or middle school, or high school, or college level, or postgraduate level. You can look all that up, and you'll find consistently George Washington was the first president of the United States. True. Just true statement. It's consistent with fact. Here's one for you. Think about this. The statement, there is no truth, cannot be true. Right? The statement, there is no truth, cannot be a true statement. 
Well, well, what do you mean, Bob? <laughs> you see, if there is no truth, well, then that, that statement would have to be false. And if there is truth, then the statement is false. And so the statement, there is no truth, cannot be a true statement. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? <laughs> you see, any statement that involves such an inherent contradiction really can't be true. Here's another example of that kind of thing. All truth is relative. Well, that can't be true because you've stated an absolute truth. All truth is relative. That statement is an absolute truth. All truth is, well, if all truth is relative, well, then that statement would be relative and you wouldn't know whether that's true or not true. Whether this, you know. And so those kind of statements that involve some sort of inherent contradiction, just, they, they just can't be relied on. They just can't be true. So let's make a few observations. Truth exists independently of our knowledge of it. A person may be, uh, may be ill and not know it. Sometimes people will ask, you know, what, how are you doing? Well, pretty good as far as I know. But you really never know what's going on in there, do you? <laughs> and so it may be that I'm not doing well, but I don't know it. So truth is true, independent of our knowledge of it. You might not know that James K. Polk, anybody know what number president he was? Which, which 11th president. Now he was the 11th president whether you knew that or not. And so truth is true independent of our knowledge of it. And so we might not accept it, we might not like it, but truth is truth. All right? It will always be true. It always has been true. and always will be. And it's true today. So we say truth is objective. And so it's true whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we accept it or not. That doesn't change the quality of the truth. It's true. Truth is objective. Truth can be stated in propositions. Now that gets a bad reputation sometimes and criticism sometimes, but truth can be stated in propositions. That's a, that's a truthful proposition right there. A proposition is simply a, a statement of fact, like Jesus is the Son of God. Sometimes people will kind of, again, criticize that idea. Now I understand being a faithful Christian is not simply believing a list of propositional statements. I understand that. It involves more than that. But you can, can state truth in, in statements. Jesus is the Son of God. There, there is one God. Truth is supported by evidence. Chuck talked about that this morning. The evidence takes different forms. For example, it can be measurable. I'm six feet tall and I weigh 175 pounds. Now, that's an untrue statement. See, that, that, that statement could be measured. You could, you could measure my height, and as soon as I stepped on the scales, you know, up, up, that's, that's not true, you know. We've measured the statement, and it came up wanting, you know. But truth sometimes can be measured. Truth is supported by evidence. Sometimes the evidence is measurable. But sometimes it's logical. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. That's a logic, that's kind of a logical proof. Now that, that, that statement is correct, it's true, it's consistent with facts. It re, actually, it represents what actually is, but the evidence of it rests on our logic. 
So sometimes evidence takes the form of logic. And I say all that simply to say the truth is different from opinion. It's different from conjecture. It's different from supposition. And so we might have an opinion about things, but we might be wrong. And you look at the evidence and it doesn't support our opinion. And so our opinion is untrue. But when you test the truth with evidence, well, it, it pro- it's proven to be true. And so truth is different from opinion or speculation or conjecture. The greater the evidence, the more confident we are about it. And then the last observation I'll make is that there's truth to be found in different areas of life. Now we saw that with our statements. There's mathematical truth. Two plus two equals four. There's scientific truth. The speed of light is 186 miles per second, I think it is. There's historical truth. George Washington was the first president of the United States. There's philosophical proof. The statement, there is no truth, cannot be true, philosophical. And you know what? There's religious truth. And so just think about that. Truth in all those different areas of life. Math, history, science, philosophy, and there is religious truth. You see... The statement, there is one God, is either true or false. It it, it can't be both. (laughs) There is one God and there is not one God cannot both be true. And so you subject that to the evidence, and then that is proven to be either true or false. So there is truth in religion. Now, so, so many times, well, religion is portrayed and, and sort of accepted as this sort of nebulous idea. And you kind of figure out what you like to do, or what you want to do. You, you do that. That'll be your truth in religion. And, and you do whatever is your truth in religion, and we'll all live happily ever after. No. Mm-mm. You see, we, we, what we need to do is buy the truth and sell it not. Proverbs 13, 13. Get a hold of the truth and let, hold on to it and don't let go of it. You know, we all live our lives based on knowing that some things are true and others are false. That's, again, that's a common sense approach. Everybody lives her, his or her life based on the idea that you know some things are true. You know, if you step off a 25-story building, you're going to be pulled down to the earth by the force of gravity and go splat on the concrete. And so you don't do that. All of us live our life based on the fact that we can know the truth. Now, why does the truth matter? Well, here are some questions that might help us understand the importance of knowing the truth. Imagine you've got a pain, and uh, it's not getting any better. It goes on for a while. In fact, it seems to be getting worse. You don't feel good. And you think, well, you know, I need to go to the doctor. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor misdiagnoses your condition. And it goes on for a while. Is it important for you to know the truth when it comes to a situation like that? Yeah, I think all of us say, I want a doctor that's going to tell me the truth. Tell me information consistent with the facts so that I can treat this effectively. If you are charged with a serious crime, you're driving down the road, the police stop you, they drag you out of the car, they put you in handcuffs, take you to jail, charge you with a serious crime, which you didn't do, are you interested in the truth coming out at your trial? The facts. I want the facts to come out. I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. 
The truth is important, isn't it? If you're investing your money or buying a house or buying a car, do you think truthfulness from your advisor, your car salesman, or real estate agent, is, it, is that important to you? Yeah. Now, if you think, well, maybe not, ask the people that invested with Bernie Madoff. If you don't know who that is, Google him, <laughs> and you'll, you'll find out about him. The truth is, now here's, an, here's a really serious one. On the last play of the game, your, uh, your team scores the winning touchdown. The receiver catches the ball and gets his foot in bounds. But the refs wave it off. No touchdown. Now, the truth is really important when it comes to issues like that, isn't it? The truth matters. The truth is important. Success depends on the truth. Our health and well-being depend on acquiring truthful, factual information. When important issues are at stake, the truth matters. Jesus says, you shall know the truth. The truth will make you free. So here's an important matter. The truth will help you acquire that. The truth will make you free. Now, there are a couple of implications in that statement. First of all, there is truth. You shall know the truth. There is truth, according to Jesus. And you can know it. You can know it. You shall know the truth. And the truth. And then there's the benefit from that as well. And so when the stakes are high, the truth is important. There's nothing more important than the salvation of our souls. All right, I spent way too much time on, on all of that. What I really want to do, and I don't have as much time as I'd like to have to do this, where do we go for religious or spiritual truth? Where, where do we go? Now, we've already talked about truth. There's truth in different areas of life. There's truth in religion as well. Now, where do we go to find the truth? Now, a lot of times when we're faced with an issue like that, maybe, maybe we're you know, ignorant, there's nothing wrong with being ignorant. Now, remaining ignorant when we have an opportunity to, to, to learn, now, there's something wrong with that. But if, if I don't know much about medicine, I might go to a reliable source to learn the truth about it. Or if I don't know much about, you know, science or whatever it is, I might go to a, a, a good source, a reliable source, to find out more about it. That's the way we are in religion. Uh, we, we need some help. We need some guidance. Well, where do we go for that? There are a lot of ideas competing out there, but, but what can we rely on and what can we, what can we stand on? Well, we, we need to stand on the Word of God. You see, God is the supreme being. He is the ultimate reality. He's the Almighty, Genesis 17 and verse 1. He is the great I Am, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Isaiah 44 and verse 6, there is no God besides me. He is the all-knowing one. Now a good passage to illustrate that is the 139th Psalm. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. And you can go through the rest of that Psalm and just see how much David is impressed with the, with the knowledge that God has of him. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2 and 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 that God cannot lie, cannot deny himself. Now, you know what that passage doesn't say? It doesn't say, no, God could lie, but he just doesn't. That's not really what it says, is it? God cannot lie. 
How can that be that God cannot lie? You see, God is holy. It is not possible for Him to do anything unholy. He is altogether holy. He is holiness. <laughs> he can't do what is unholy. And so He cannot lie. His Word is true. He is truth Himself, or truth itself. He cannot lie. And so God's Word is true. He's the supreme being. He is the ultimate reality. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And so when He speaks, what He says is true. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, Let God be true and every man a liar. God would be true if everybody else was a liar. God would be you can, true and you could count on His Word. His Word is going to reflect what actually is, the facts of the matter. Psalm 86 and verse 15, if you're interested in pursuing all this, just maybe Google this or go to Bible Gateway and type in truth and look at what the Psalms have to say about God and truth. God is abounding in loving kindness and truth, Psalm 86 and verse 15. Psalm 31 and verse 5, He is the God of truth. Psalm 111, verse 7, the works of His hands are truth and righteousness. And we can advance that a little bit. John 1, verse 14, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. In fact, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what the difference between what I say is true and I am the truth is? There is a difference. The truth is the standard by which all other things are measured. And so when Jesus says, I am the truth, He's not, he's not only saying that everything I say is true. What He's saying is, I am the standard by which all statements are measured, by which all ideas are measured. I am the truth. You know what else Jesus says in John 17 and verse 17? As he prays to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now your word is true in what he says. It's accurate, reflects what actually is. But it's also the truth. It is the standard by which all other statements are measured. Remember we talked about truth is supported by evidence? The word is the evidence. If it contradicts the Word, well, then it's untrue. If it's consistent with the Word, then it is true, because your Word is truth. Psalm 119, there are several statements in that particular psalm. It's a psalm dedicated to the Word, and in several places, the, the psalm affirms the truth of God's Word. The 160th verse, for example, the sum of your Word is truth. And we could go on and look at other passages, but our time is getting out, getting away from us. John 16, verse 13, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come upon the apostles. Now that begins on the day of Pentecost, but, but the Holy Spirit continues to work with the apostles and influence and guide them into what? All the truth. And so here you have God, the God of truth, God the Holy Spirit, leading these men into all the truth, so that what they say and what they speak are true as well. David says in a passage we looked at not too long ago, 2 Samuel 7, verse 28, 
You are God and your words are truth. Now that just about summarizes it, doesn't it? <laughs> you are God and your words are truth. There is truth in the world, all right? The idea that you know, truth is sort of nebulous and it's hard to get a hold of, it's hard to define it, it's constantly changing. No, mm -mm. no, untrue. God, He is God and His words are truth. John 10, 35, because God's word is true, it cannot be broken. The smallest letter or stroke of a pen will not pass away until they all come to pass. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 18. As Jesus said, heaven and earth might pass away, but my words will not pass away. In Luke 16 verse 17, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. It's true. It's not going to fail. It's going to remain as it is throughout all time. And because God's Word is true, it settles all disputes. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, remember how He answered each temptation? You see, it's written. <laughs> and so what is written will settle that, that question. Whether I should turn stones to bread, or whether I should throw myself off the pinnacle of the temple, or whether I should bow down and worship Satan. Whether should I do that or not? Well, the Word says, don't do those things. And the Word is true. And I'm going to hold to the truth, and I'm not going to let it go. Buy the truth and sell it not. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, Paul is discussing this matter of being justified by works of the law or justified by faith. Remember how he discusses that in Romans chapter 3, what the basis of his, of his reasoning is? He asks, well, what do the Scriptures say? You see, the Scriptures will guide us into the truth. The Scriptures will establish the truth on that subject. And so what do the Scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. And so the truth is, we're saved by faith, and not by works of the law. Paul's conclusion. Well, the truth is important. I hope we've, I hope we've grasped that this morning, that we understand that. Our Hypothetical scenarios that we offered a few minutes ago would impress that on us. We want a good, true diagnosis when we go to the doctor. We want truth from our financial advisor, from our real estate agent. We want truth from the referees. <laughs> truth is important. And the more serious the question, the more important truth is, I guess we could say. And there's nothing more important than the eternal destiny of our soul. And so again... Jesus says, you'll know the truth. The truth, the truth will make you free. The solution to our problem is in the God of truth. The God of truth became flesh and lived among us. He is the truth. He speaks the truth. We need to understand and respond in these ways. Psalm 69 verse 13. Answer me with your saving truth. Psalm 25, verse 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And Psalm 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And so there's the answer, isn't it? <laughs> to our biggest problem, our sin problem, is in the truth, the God of truth, his Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the words of truth that they've given to us. 
Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this opportunity to come together today and to worship you and to praise you uh, for, for being uh, the supreme God, the great I Am, and to praise you for being our God, our Father, bestowing upon us so many blessings, innumerable blessings, but especially, Father, the gift of your Son who came to this world, went to the cross, provided atonement for our sins, and it's in His work, the work that He has done for us, that we have the hope of salvation. Help us, Father, to understand the truth, the, the truth that you have revealed to us, the truth that you've provided to us in your Son. Help us, Father, to see the importance of grasping that, holding on to it tight, putting it into practice in our lives, and never, never letting go of it. Father, we hope for eternal life that comes to us through your truth, the truth that you've revealed to us. And may we, Father, always be faithful to that. Help us, Father, to guide others into the truth as well, so that they might know it and that they might be free from the bondage of sin as well. Father, we look forward to that day when we will be ushered into the kingdom, that we'll hear you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We're so thankful that you've made that possible for us. We praise you and glorify you and offer this prayer in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. If you're here today and not a, not a Christian,